Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in as we wrap up our 2023 SEC Comment Letter Series, where each episode features PwC National Office Specialists sharing insights on the SEC staff's areas of focus as we dive into the top comment letter topics this year. Consider what information is being regularly provided to the CODM today and what that means, and, you know, and maybe use the opportunity of the new standard and keeping in mind the areas of frequent SEC comment letters that we've been talking about, to really rethink the overall disclosure presentation, right? You're going to have to make changes to how your segment note looks looks as part of this. So use that opportunity to kind of think about how that presentation best tells your story and helps investors to understand how it is that management is really running the business and what information is useful to them. That was Jay Selber, PwC National Office Partner, joining us to share insights on SEC comment letters related to segments, which is an area of continued focus by the SEC staff. We also have a special guest host for this episode who has his own wealth of knowledge on the topic, PwC National Office Partner, Kevin Vaughn. Kevin and Jay together help us unpack some of the complexities in segment reporting and what's behind the increase in the number of comments we see in this area. Plus, we have a special bonus where they give us some highlights on the new segments ASU. They have a lot to share, so let's get started. All right, Jay, thanks for joining me uh, on our last episode for our SEC comment letter series. Uh, And we get to talk today about one of, uh, I think, both of our favorite areas, which is segment reporting. Um, maybe before we get going, I'll start off uh, just with a reminder that the segments guidance uh, has been around for a long time, uh, many years. Uh, but even even so, it still continues to be a top area of SEC comments. Uh, it's still in the top five uh, in our in our latest trends, uh, just like it was last year. And for all the last 25 years, I think, before that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so we're not going to rehash the current guidance uh, that exists today. Uh, we have some other podcasts, and, and I know you've done a number of podcasts on it. Uh, we have our financial statement presentation guide as well that covers it. Uh, so we'll link those in the in the show notes. And But, but we're going to focus on our discussion today on, on some of those comment letter trends. So thanks, thanks again for joining. Sure. Thanks for having me here, Kevin. And uh, I'd highlight that along with talking about sort of the, some of the comment letter trends of what we're running into sort of currently, uh, listeners perhaps are aware that there's also been some very recent changes to the guidance that was just issued in the end of November. And we're going to touch on those uh, during the course of the podcast as well. So I guess you could say that following in the tradition of the classic holiday story, we're going to talk about the past present and future of segment reporting here. All today. right. I like it. Uh, yeah, the, it'll be exciting. And maybe we can work in a couple holiday puns uh, here and there throughout. I, I, I like that. This is impromptu. I'm going to challenge you on this. So maybe to start, uh, we will talk about the the comment letter trend specifically. So starting with the the ghost of segments past, uh, if you will, uh, and, and some of the focus areas. I, I think maybe important to say, overall, I think these focus areas are pretty consistent with what we've seen in prior years. Uh, so uh, consistency sometimes is is the headline, and and I think that's that's the case here. Uh, so, but we can jump in a little bit. One of the areas that we see uh, continued focus from the staff it relates to the identification 
of the operating segments. And, and this could happen across any, any company, but specifically we see it uh, a lot more frequently with single uh, segment companies. The staff will ask questions uh, there, um, you know, because the idea that, that you only have one segment, you know, there's some pressure on that. And so when the, when the staff looks at the filing uh, and when they issue those comments, they're considering, you know, everything that you have out there in the public, not only what's in the filing, uh, not only your discussion in MDNA, but what's on your website, what are you talking about on your earnings calls? Uh, what do you talk about just in other uh, interactions with the marketplace? And then when you think about uh, in terms of the specific questions that the staff will ask here, this is it, it's kind of a very detailed analysis to go through uh, with this. Uh, but the starting point is they're going to ask who is the chief operating decision maker, the CODM? Uh, they're going to want to understand why that person uh, is a CODM. And then what is the what are the key operating decisions for the business? What information is the is the CODM looking at uh, to make determinations on how to assess performance and allocate resources? And then beyond that, who are the direct reports to the CODM? What's the organizational structure? Uh, the individuals that report to the CODM, uh, how are they compensated? Uh, what are their areas of focus? How do they manage the business? How do they interact with the CODM? And then again, I mentioned the website. Uh, you know, one thing that we see in comments as well is sometimes the website or, or earnings calls, you know, the company may talk about the business in one way, uh, but then the segment reporting might be different. So maybe on the website, they talk about different products and services, uh, but in the segment reporting and the financial statements, maybe they're by geographic area. So the staff might ask questions about about that seeming inconsistency. Uh, you know, certainly those, those situations can arise. Uh, the final area, which I know always gets people really excited, is, is the reporting packages. Uh, and, and, you know, if the staff might ask for the reporting package, I will say, for my personal experience, when I was at the staff, um, I didn't necessarily want to go through this massive reporting package. Uh, so the early comments that, that I would issue uh, would generally be more focused on asking the company to explain what is in the reporting package and talk about the key information that's in there. Uh, but, but I've also seen uh, situations where the company doesn't do a great job of doing that. Uh, and, and eventually the staff might get to a point where they just say, okay, just give us the reporting package so we can look at it ourselves. Yeah, we definitely see that as well as we help our, our clients with it. As you said, usually when they don't like what they've seen in the first response, so always good encouragement to try to do a good thorough job the first time around. Uh, you know, maybe tying into just sort of what's going on in the broader business environment today that touches on the same topic is there's a lot of changes in organization structure, right? As companies are buying businesses or selling businesses or just growing certain areas more in, than they are in other areas, uh, that could drive a change in sort of how a company is organized and, and perhaps might drive a change in your segment structure, right? As you bring on new things and get rid of things and promote people and restructure and reorganize, you might end up with a change in your segments. Uh, and so you have to always monitor that. And that often leads to a lot of comments as well. It's like, well, we noticed that you've done all of this within your business and tell us how that's affected or if that's affected your your segments. And then even just numerically, since there's some quantitative thresholds in what you have to report, as your income goes, goes down or goes up, uh, that could change which segments 
all of a sudden become a reportable segment. And if something becomes reportable in the current period, not only you have to present it this period, you got to present it for all your periods. And so we see a lot of questions come up around things like that, too. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think one thing I've heard in talking to some companies before is, you know, we've had our same segments for for years and years and years, and the staff never asked us a question. And now they're asking a question. And, And I think to your point, exactly, it could be that maybe your business, maybe it all made sense. And now something's happened with your business, and it no longer makes sense to the staff. And they think maybe there's tension on that. So appreciate that. I guess shifting to the next category uh, of of um, comment areas, uh, the other big one is is aggregation of operating segments. Uh, so the ability to aggregate if there if it meets uh, similar economic characteristics as well as meeting a series of qualitative uh, characteristics as well. Uh, so the staff, you know, I think maybe a couple of points here, and they've they've made these comments before. You know that that aggregation uh, one it's optional. It's not required in the standard. And two, uh, that it's a very high bar uh, to, to meet that um, to meet that criteria. So a lot of times what we'll see from the staff there is, is questions. Uh, one, they're going to want to understand the economics. Uh, and, and, you know, one, one thing is they're going to be specifically focused on that measure of segment profit or loss that the CODM is using. Uh, but they may also look at other metrics too. They may look at uh, maybe that measure of segment profit is EBITDA, but but they want to understand gross profit for those segments or revenue for those segments. Uh, so they'll they'll look for that economic characteristics analysis. Uh, they want numbers, right? They don't just want a description of it. They want numbers. And I think, you know, when you think about some of those characteristics as well, this comes up a lot. I know it comes up in conversations you have a lot as well is like, you're talking about the relative percentage differences. So like, if you think about, you know, maybe one has a EBITDA margin of, of 35% and the other one has a margin of 30%. So you might be tempted to say that's a 5% difference. Well, no, the staff is going to look at, at just the, the relative to the 35%. Uh, and, and it's going to be much, much larger than that. And then getting into the qualitative characteristics, you know, they're going to want a robust analysis on each of those. And I, I won't necessarily rehash all of those. I do want to highlight one that, in my experience at the staff, uh, and 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 I think we continue to see it in comments that companies are maybe quick to uh, quick to bypass uh, or or don't necessarily do a detailed analysis on uh, is the regulatory environment, uh, and that's important. And and thinking about that carefully. I think is that's going to be something that the staff pushes on. And then maybe just to, to wrap it up. And again, just often when I would deal with these at the SEC, the way, the way that I would approach aggregation questions, and this is kind of like a fundamental question and we see it in comments as well, is really just going back to the principle. And clearly the business is organized uh, with multiple operating segments. Uh, that's what the CODM is using to assess performance and allocate resources. So the question is why does the CODM need the disaggregated information at the lower operating segment level, but investors don't? Uh, and and you really need to be able to explain that uh, in a way. And the point in the standard is that is that aggregation is okay because giving the operating segment level information wouldn't really change what what investors have. Right. The idea being that they kind of are moving in tandem with each other and are reasonably expected to continue to move in tandem with each other. So you don't really need to see all the pieces because as long as you see the, the aggregate amount, 
that's enough. But but I agree right. that that's easier said than done in many cases. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know it's just going into it. If a company is aggregating, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves in terms of the tips, but the tip is make sure you're thinking through that question. That's I think a fundamental question uh, that you should be prepared to answer. No, definitely. Well, well, I think determining what seg- which are your segments, and then can you or can't you aggregate into your reportable segments? They're probably the two biggest areas that we run into. Um, another one that we see quite a bit, or another category that we see quite a bit, Kevin, is uh, the area of enterprise-wide or entity-wide disclosures. Obviously, most of the segment standard is about breaking down what's in each segment and the information about about that. And the thought in the standard is that you could do that the way management's evaluating the numbers in the business. And so that could be different for your company as compared to another company in your industry. But because of that, the FASB did include in the standard several standardized entity-wide disclosure requirements for revenue, by products and services, and by geographic uh, region of the world, as well as significant customers. And that's to try to provide a common playing field for everybody to have to disclose that so, so investors can look at it. And we see a lot of questions challenging whether a company has fully complied with those specific requirements to, to break down their revenue into those those categories. Now, that's particularly true, I think, if you have a single reportable segment company, which maybe isn't doing a lot of detail, uh, you may just sort of not realize that you have to do some of those additional disclosures because you're not otherwise presenting a lot of segment detailed information. But we see the question show up across all sorts of companies as well, along with if you have any major customers, major here being defined as 10% or more of your consolidated totals, you are supposed to, from sort of a concentration of risk perspective, disclose that point in the segment note as well. Not You don't have to give the name of the customer. You can just say company A, company B, company C, uh, but you have to say what percentage of total revenue that represents. Yeah. No, no, no. Great. I don't want to spoil too much. I know we're going to get into the new standard, but but the last category that I would mention just from a comment letter uh, trends perspective is multiple measures of profit, uh, segment profit or loss. Uh, we do see the staff questioning this. Um, so just to, and maybe this will serve as a little bit of foundation for some of our later discussion, but but the, the ASC 280 today talks about um, the measure of segment profit that you disclose uh, is the one uh, in in a situation where a CODM uses more than one measure of segment profit or loss uh, to assess performance and allocate resources, the one you would disclose is the one most consistent with the measurement principles uh, in GAAP. Uh, and so that's historically the staff has, has viewed that as that is what GAAP requires and, and they would ask questions and, and ultimately um, tell companies to remove other measures of segment profit or loss that are presented uh, in the footnote um, because they viewed those as not being, not being gapped. Uh, so an example could be maybe, you know, you do segment, segment net income and, and also you do a segment adjusted EBITDA that, that backs out some more things. The staff would say, well, segment net income is, is the one most consistent with, with gap. And so that's your, that's your required uh, presentation that that's something like I say we'll we'll get into it. So I I think with that that kind of wraps up our our ghost of segments past uh, and and now we're going to go to ghost of segments current and that really gets to uh, you you alluded to it at the beginning the uh, the FASB recently issued some updated segments guidance and uh, you know just wanted to see if you could talk through 
Uh, I know you've played, paid close attention to it and, and you were involved in, and are in depth on that guidance. Uh, but if you can maybe talk us through uh, some of the key updates in that guidance. Sure. And obviously it's relatively hot off the press, came out late November. But um, you know, maybe I, I, I'll start off by what the standard does not do. And uh, unfortunately, maybe to the point of the comment letters, themes that we just were going through, it actually doesn't affect most of those. There's no new guidance about what is an operating segment. There's no new guidance about aggregation, uh, anything like that. So uh, some of those areas, which frankly are tough judgments and do affect a lot of comments that that we see our clients receive, uh, those are not going to change under the new guidance. But what the new guidance does do is it significantly increases the amount of specific disclosures that are required for each segment particularly around the expenses of a segment uh, beyond the couple of ones that were previously required, like depreciation and interest expense in certain cases. There were certain enumerated required disclosures. Um, The new guidance will go much broader than that and basically open up all all the expenses that a segment uh, might might be incurring. So some of the key areas, and we'll probably go through each one a bit more, but kind of the key things that the guidance addresses is it adds a notion of disclosing significant segment expenses. So for each segment, you have to disclose those which are considered significant to the segment, and you have to individually lay those out for each segment by title and by amount. So you have to disclose those ones. And then everything else that makes up your segment profit or loss, but that is not considered a significant expense, ends up in a bucket uh, appropriately called other segment expenses, which is really just sort of the the number that's needed to reconcile down you know, revenue less the significant expenses, and you need a number to come down to segment profit. So you have to disclose in the aggregate what those uh, total other segment expenses are, and then have a narrative discussion, say, below the table that for each segment just sort of qualitatively says these are the types of expenses that are in that bucket. You don't have to break them out by number, but you have to disclose qualitatively what the key ones are. So those are the, the two biggest changes for kind of the expenses. Uh, we'll touch, I'm sure, more about the multiple measures of segment profit or loss, but the, the guidance uh, as written by the FASB does allow for disclosure of more than one measure of profit or loss for segments as long as the CODM really is using it to allocate resources and assess performance and run the business. There's also, we touched on single reportable segment entities uh, before, and historically there really hasn't been a lot of disclosures made for those. The thought is, well, it's all in the consolidated income statement, so we we just say we're a single segment entity. We don't end up reporting much. The FASB's new guidance will more explicitly require the same types of disclosures of those significant and other expenses uh, for the company, even if it's a single reportable segment, you know, obviously you don't have to duplicate maybe what's already elsewhere in the in the financial statements, but in many cases there will be some incremental information that needs to be disclosed. And then the last key change that's being made is that the, the new guidance will ramp up the interim disclosures largely to align with all these new annual disclosures. So all these new disclosures that we'll go through here, those are going to be required. Almost all of them will be required for both annual and interim periods, whereas in the past, the interim disclosures were much, much uh, narrower. All right. So sounds like uh, a lot to unwrap ah, there. There's, there's a pun there. I like uh, yeah, that. Yeah. 
Uh, but, uh, and, and I do, I, I do feel like, uh, a, a kid on Christmas morning, um, wanting to jump right into the, the, the gift that you referred to with multiple measures, but, but I will, uh, hold, have restraint, uh, for myself here, uh, and, and maybe get a little bit more into the significant, the significant segment expenses. And, and, and I guess, you know, even though you would think sig- significant segment expense, right? Somewhat self-explanatory, but but I know that there are some uh, some nuances uh, that get into get into how that's determined and, and how that's and what has to be presented. Uh, so maybe if you can go a little bit into into some of those details. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I think that will be the the toughest new judgment that comes out of this guidance. Um, unfortunately, the FASB did not provide any explicit and certainly not a numerical quantification of what significant means. There was some requests during the comment letter process to provide more guidance on that. Uh, the FASB added a little bit to the basis of conclusions, but they largely left, left it alone, saying the word significant has been in the segment standard for a while, albeit used in narrower circumstances in the past, but they didn't really want to change the historical dynamic that might be out there. And obviously that's very important because those are the ones that have to be disclosed individually. And so there's definitely going to be tension as to well, what is what does it mean to be significant? So what the FASB has said is that it has to be both a qualitative and quantitative consideration. You have to look at, at both of those. There's no explicit quantitative threshold, but you do have to consider its size as well as sort of qualitatively, is it important or not? It's probably not considered just by reference to the consolidated totals. They didn't explicitly say that you should, you should evaluate it in relation to the segment. But that's kind of what we're thinking makes the most sense since it's definitely, you know, they did acknowledge it doesn't have to be material to the whole financial statements, but it has to be viewed as something that, in their words, that it, if it's omitted, that could change the investors or an investor's view about the company and sort of their investment allocation decisions. So uh, it, it, it's still viewed in the context of what's important to investors, which is really what this whole standard's all about, but it definitely acknowledges that it, it could be something at a lower level than sort of what's material to the consolidated financial statements as a whole. And maybe the most interesting thing the FASB said in the basis for conclusions here that maybe hints a little bit at what, at least what some of the board members were thinking is that they said that if an item is reported to the CODM, it would likely also be important to an investor, which that's about all they said. But that kind of you know, leads us to think there's a bit of an expectation that if the item's being regularly provided to the CODM, it probably should be disclosed. That's probably at least the starting point. But there's probably a number of factors to think about uh, that maybe, maybe if you look at them all together, maybe you overcome that. You know, maybe you look at the size and importance of the expense item. Maybe you look at its variability from period to period or its volatility in relation to um, you know, significant events that take place or in relation to revenue. You may consider whether it's just sort of, you know, we have a standard structure to how we report our income statement on all of our segments to the CODM, but for certain segments, you know, a particular expense may not be very big, may not be very important. Maybe it's just not relevant to... Um, to that particular segment, maybe it's not growing very fast, and so those types of expenses aren't aren't quite the same. 
And as well as sort of you got to think about what is what do your shareholders care about or investors care about when you have your earnings calls? What kind of questions are coming up? What what information is being looked at? And if people are asking about it, then it's probably important to them. So all going to be tough judgments, but um, you know I, I think that's that's going to be one that's going to get a lot of attention, and I'm sure we'll end up seeing a lot of questions from the SEC as as people start to uh, start to uh, to do all of this. Well, yeah, even as you were going through it, I was starting to I was starting to draft uh, comment letters in my mind uh, for some of those you don't situations. Work there anymore, I know I'm not there anymore, but still, still, uh, you know. Uh, still front of mind, um, certainly. So we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get into, uh, that's, that's future. Uh, so we'll get into that and, and a little bit more. Um, but, but I've, I, I've waited long enough. <laughs> Let's talk more about multiple measures of segment, uh, profit or loss. And, and, um, maybe in some of this, I know we've been, I've been teasing it a little bit. There were some comments at the AICPA conference, and there was discussion around that. Um, so, and 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 I was I was at that, and, and certainly uh, experienced that. So, uh, I can share some of that. But maybe first, if you can just walk through what the what the actual what the standard uh, says. Right. Sure. No. So the standard, as we hinted at, does now explicitly allow a company to disclose more than one measure of segment profit or loss. Uh, with some guardrails, it has to be uh, the case that you are really using those numbers to manage the business, assess performance, allocate resources, all the things that, that sort of is part of the segment's definition. can't just be, I'd like to give this information to my investors because they seem to care about it. It has to be really, are you using it to, to run the business? Um, now, if you have mul- multiple measures, you still, as you do today, you still do, at a minimum, have to disclose the one that's most consistent with your gap information. So like your example of like gross profit and EBITDA or income and EBITDA, you can't just choose to disclose the EBITDA one and leave out the one that's closest to gap. So you have to, you have to do the one that's closest to gap, but then you could disclose another one after that or more than one after that, even if you wanted to. Uh, you do have to disclose how you're using all these segment measures to really run the business and allocate resources and the like. So you actually have to Put on paper and put out in the public domain how you're using it. Again, I think so that so that everyone looking at it can feel comfortable that it really is part of how you're running the business, not just information you'd like to like to get out there. And then you do have to reconcile all the measures you put out back down to consolidated income uh, before taxes and uh, from continuing operations. So that, that's always been a requirement to reconcile your total of segment profitability down to that pre-tax income from continuing ops. Uh, the guidance says that if you show more than one measure, you have to reconcile all of them down to down to those numbers. So I'll stop there. That's what the FASB says in their standard, but I can see you're itching to jump in now with uh, with what the SEC commented about it. Well, and and before that, I mean, maybe just, just you mentioned some of the guardrails, right? And and to me, I think another important thing, and and I mentioned it earlier, but you you have the the overarching principles of two eighty, right? The purpose of segment guidance uh, is to help investors better understand the entity's performance, better assess its prospects uh, for fa- for future cash flows, and make informed judgments. Um, so so I think those are you know anything that you're presenting can't contradict that overarching principle as well. I think that's that's always been the case, uh, at least the way that I've always thought about it. Right. And 
it's how management is running the business, right? right? It can't yeah. just be that may, maybe some information would be of interest to investors, but it's not really what management's using to run the business. The right. guidance says it has to really be what you're using to run the business. Yeah, exactly. So maybe shifting to the conference, uh, the maybe the comments that were made here, and 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 certainly the tension, as you kind of hinted at as well, the tension here is is also the SEC has guidance on non-GAAP financial measures, um, and and that's it's not just guidance; it's SEC regulations, right? So so it's at the at the SEC Commission level. Um, that there are specific requirements, uh, definitions relating to what is a non-GAAP financial measure. And in that definition, there is an exclusion if the measure um, is required by GAAP uh, and, and that, that that would uh, mean that it is not a non-GAAP measure uh, and, and also if it's expressly permitted. And so some of the tension here is that because the segment's standard is a management-based uh, standard in terms of what's disclosed. Uh, what the what the SEC staff essentially said at the conference is uh, the additional measures uh, because the the standard doesn't articulate how to calculate those specific measures absent the specific guidance on how to calculate it. It, it wouldn't be considered required or expressly permitted, uh, and, and so that's where you get into the to the I think a little bit of the rub if you will, between, between the, the gap guidance, uh, and, and the commission's non-gap guidance and the, the ultimate takeaway from the conference, the sec staff made clear that if you are planning to do, uh, to early adopt this new standard and you are going to, in that early adoption, uh, you want to optionally provide multiple measures of segment profit or loss, uh, and those additional measures would not be gap measures. Uh, so it's fine if it's if it's a purely gap, like if it's a segment gap gross profit, uh, then then that doesn't run afoul of the non non gap financial measures definition. Uh, so, but if you're going to present something additional that would not be gap, uh, they're essentially asking that you just come talk to them uh, before you do it, uh, because you know the the. The big challenge is that the non-GAAP guidance, there's certain disclosures that are required. There's reconciliation requirements, which may be the same as uh, the reconciliation requirements under 280, but they could also be different uh, depending on the measure. Uh, there's also, just to be clear, there's a prohibition in, in the non-GAAP guidance uh, of including non-GAAP information in the financial statement footnotes. Uh, so, so big takeaway, if you're thinking about early adopting, thinking about doing multiple measures, think about the non-GAAP guidance as well. Uh, and if you think that you're in this like no man's land, go talk to the staff. Uh, and I do maybe hopefully someday soon before everybody has to, has to adopt. Uh, hopefully there'll be, there'll be maybe some more guidance or more insights from the staff on that. And I think sort of that stay tuned message is probably uh, uh, an important one here. You know, the good news is that companies for the most part, do have time until they have to adopt. You don't have to adopt it until the end of 2024 as a calendar year company. But yes, if you're going to early adopt it now, and of course, if you're going to early adopt it because you'd like to potentially get another measure of profitability in there, don't forget you still got to do all those additional disclosures, right? You can't adopt it piecemeal. You have to adopt the whole standard, the whole package here. So you would have to add in all those additional disclosures. So, um, But I guess if you, if you really want to do it, it sounds like you should go talk to the, to the SEC about that first. Maybe uh, 
I guess moving, you, you hinted another one you, you pointed to was the single reporting, uh, single reportable segment entities. Can you, can you maybe expand on the guidance, uh, the new guidance there? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the, the FASB is was saying here that, you know, maybe it was a little unclear under the old guidance as to what was and wasn't applicable to companies with just one reportable segment. Uh, some people thought that all that really was was requiring you to disclose things if you have to break it down into multiple segments. So if you only have one, do you really need a lot of segment information? So we, we tended not to see a lot of disclosures historically other than the entity-wide ones for, for these kinds of companies. But what the guidance, the new guidance is saying is that, no, that, that if you're, even if you're just one reportable segment, you still have to make all the disclosures that are called for under the new guidance, not to duplicate what's already in your financial statement somewhere else. But you know, many companies, while some might very well manage the business on a consolidated basis, if you're just one operating segment, maybe you are looking at consolidated results. And in that case, maybe it would just align with what's in your consolidated income statement, and maybe there's not a lot of additional information to use. But maybe when you're, even in that case, maybe if you're looking at information from a sort of running the business and compensating your executives and deciding what you're going to get into, what not, you're not going to get into, you know, maybe you're looking at more detail than what's in the consolidated income statement, right? The consolidated income statement has maybe a few line items in it, but maybe you're looking at more detailed information as the chief operating decision maker on a regular basis. Well, in that case, that might be an additional significant segment expense that isn't already in the income statement. Maybe you need to disclose that. Or maybe the way you run the business, you're you're excluding certain parts of the consolidated total that really aren't a segment, right? Maybe they're just some cost centers, maybe it's a headquarters, maybe it's a something that's not really viewed as part of how you're running the whole business, so to speak, and managing things and compensating people. So maybe your sort of your operating segment is actually something that's smaller than the whole company. And so you again have to present in that case you know, do what are your city Phoenix segment expenses to come down to what is the measure you're using to look at, you know, manage the business and compensate people on. If you're using something different than the consolidated totals, well, you need to disclose the components of that and reconcile that number back to the, the gap figures. So those are the kinds of things that we might expect to see as companies think their way, um, the way through this. But the, the point is definitely that just because you have one reportable segment doesn't mean that you don't need to make these additional disclosures potentially again without duplicating what's already out there. Yeah, and and maybe jumping again to the to the conference uh, last week, um, uh, this was also something that came up in some of the comments. Uh, and really, I think the simple point that was made there is uh, again thinking about what is the required measure. Um, and, and the comment was, if, if it's a single segment, if it's managed on a single segment consolidated basis, then your measure of, of profit or loss for the segment, uh, the staff would expect that that's going to be consolidated net income. And, and, and I think that makes sense. There were some other comments, too, to say, like, to remind people that that often the CODM is the CEO, uh, not necessarily all the, always the case. And, and there can be other uh, answers on applying the, the guidance. But uh, the CEO is also signing certifications relating to the, the consolidated financial statement. So it would be a very, I think, difficult argument uh, to suggest that the CODM uh, is, you know, for a single segment that's that's managed on a consolidated basis, that they're not 
they're not looking at the consolidated financial statements at all um, in, in order to assess performance and allocate resources. And then I guess anything else you might disclose would be subject to what you just went through a little bit ago about having multiple measures of segment profit right. or loss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, of course, tying into what you said earlier was a common SEC comment letter theme, having to go through this adoption process may put pressure on whether entities are really a single reportable segment entity in the first place. Right. Yeah. No, no, I think that's a great point. All right. Uh, maybe before we move on to the ghost of segment future, uh, any anything else in, in terms of the new guidance uh, that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, there, there's a few things. You know, I think as I touched on a bit before, the, the new standard required most all of these disclosures for each segment to be included in the interim financial statements, as well as the annual financial statements. So there'll definitely be more stuff in all the interim periods. And the guidance uh, did clarify that it's focusing on information that is regularly provided to the CODM, uh, not necessarily regularly reviewed. There's a few spots in the standard where regularly reviewed still survives more about what is a segment. But in all the discussion about what needs to be disclosed, it's all been consistently uh, lined up to say regularly provided, which is arguably a little bit lower threshold. I think you know, the, the FASB didn't want to get into the game of saying, oh, the CODM gets the information but isn't looking at the information. So it's all about what is regularly provided along the way. Yeah. And, and maybe just to another point that, we, that came up at the conference on that, um, the staff uh, talked about what is what is regularly uh, in in the context of this, and and you know I, I think it's often a question that comes up. I, I would say there's there's always different answers, but I think the main point they were getting across is um, that they would not accept an argument that uh, something that's provided quarterly uh, is not regularly provided or regularly reviewed, uh, and 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 so quarterly would meet that criteria. Um, but I think as, as we know, we've seen it. Um, and, and they reiterated too. more frequently could also be regularly provided or regularly reviewed and less frequently could also be regularly provided or regularly reviewed. So, um, but, but certainly, uh, I think they, they definitely kind of put a stake in the ground that, that quarterly would, would qualify, uh, for that. Mm-hmm. And regularly provided doesn't just mean in some printed reporting package, right? That was what the world looked like 25 years ago when the right. standard first came out. But of course, we know it goes much broader than that. Information is pretty readily available if you want to find it. So it's looking certainly at what is provided on flash reports and, and hard copy information, but it's also maybe what's discussed in those recurring meetings between the CODM and his or her direct reports when they're talking about how the business is doing, what information is being talked about regularly in those meetings. Sure, you might drill down this month into this particular product line because there's something going on in that product line this month, and then next month you talk about something completely different, and maybe and it only happens on an as-needed basis. Maybe that's not regularly provided, but if you're consistently every month or every week or however frequently you're having these meetings uh, talking about certain numbers and what makes those up and what's causing the drivers in that period, that, that probably is regularly provided. So you have to really think about all the ways that information is getting to the CODM. And then I guess the, the other things I'd, I'd mention is that there's a few, I'll call them anti-abuse provisions in the new standard that the, the FASB included. Uh, one of them, which I don't think we really touched on just yet, is this a notion of expenses that are easily computable 
from the information that is being provided. So I think the FASB was worried that people would say, oh, I just won't put some number in my package or in my flash report or the like. But you could probably figure it out, right? They, and they give a few examples. They, don't, they, they say things like, well, if you have revenue and you have gross margin, well, you can probably figure out what your cost of sales was. Or if you have revenue and you've got warranty expense as a percentage of revenue or COGS as a percentage of revenue, you could probably figure out what the dollar amounts are. So if it's easily computable from the information that's there, it also might be need to be disclosed. Uh, if you have concluded that you have no significant expenses for a segment, you have to make an additional disclosure about well, what are you using to run the business. And that might be a red flag for someone to look at and, and ask some questions about it. Uh, I think we touched on that, you know, particularly if you're using multiple measures, but actually it's applicable for everybody. You have to disclose how you are using whatever your segment profit or loss is to run the business and manage manage things. So even if you're even if you only show one measure of profit, you still have to explain how you're using that measure to kind of uh, assess performance and, and allocate resources and the like. And then lastly, just sort of a you know a particular required disclosure that's been added is that the FASB now will have you disclose who, not by name, but by title, who is your CODM, or if it's a group of people like an operating executive committee, what is the, the group or what is the title of the person who is your CODM so that it's clear as to what it is that you're using to, uh, to, to make all these decisions. All right. Uh, so I think inherently what you've just done is, is put in a great plug, uh, for the, for the in-depth, uh, uh, I think certainly go, go back and read that, uh, and, and as well as, as the actual, uh, guidance. So uh, in terms of the effective dates, I think, I think we kind of touch on this, but maybe if you can just revisit that real quick. Sure. Sure. The, um, the, the standard is required for annual periods at the end of, if you're a calendar year company, the end of 2024. So the first adoption will be just for the annual period in 2024, and then the interim period starting in 2025. So we have a little bit of time, a year or so, to, to be able to do this. Uh, when you do adopt it, it has to be retrospectively applied to all periods presented. So for example, if you adopt it at the end of 2024 in the annual statements, and you present three years of income statements, you'd have to show 23 and 22 as well, all the information that's required for, for it. There's a, there is an impracticability exception, but as we know from the past, that's a very high high bar to, um, to do that. And as we've touched on before, it is a standard that you can apply early if you'd like. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the point of the retrospective, I think it's also important to just remind that whenever you're dealing uh, with a new standard that has retrospective treatment, it could impact um, other, uh, your ability to use registration statements. You may have to uh, evaluate whether you need to um, do additional years beyond what you might have to do in the 10K uh, in connection with like an S3 or anything like that. So, so certainly if, if you find yourself in that situation, um, you should probably talk to your, to your advisors uh, more there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's it for the present. And now we move to the future. I don't know if you have anything. I, I think so. I think we can, we can foresee some, uh, Maybe ghosts is too strong of a word, but some some uh, ghosts of of uh, segments future, I suppose. Here, um, you know, I think tying our themes together about SEC comment letters and and new guidance, we certainly can foresee 
some new comments that we might start to see, uh, you know, hit, hit our list of, of frequent comments in the segment area once, once uh, everyone's adopted it. Uh, you know, I could foresee the SEC issuing comments around things like, we note that certain expenses were reported to the CODM, but were not reported as significant segment expenses. Please explain to us how you determined which expenses are significant and why expenses that were reported to the CODM were not deemed significant. So I could see that one being out there. Um, maybe as a corollary to that, I could see another one that says, we note that no significant expenses were reported to the CODM, and you made that disclosure that the guidance requires you to do. So please explain how the CODM manages the business in order to allocate resources to the, to the various segments. Um, they might say, please provide all segment disclosures for your single reportable segment entity, because that's not really wasn't an issue before, but now, now it will be something um, that will be there uh, to, to look at in the future. And then, you know, to the extent you're disclosing multiple measures of segment profit, certainly in light of the SEC comments that you, that you mentioned, Kevin, uh, you may get a comment to disclose the measure most closely associated with GAAP and how are you really using the information to run the business, assess performance, allocate resources, things like that. Yeah. I, well, I think you, you've demonstrated that you also could write. I, I think you could probably come up with comment letters. Maybe it's. I know many years of many years of serving in this in this role and, and seeing seeing letters over the years. So I think you've you've picked up on on some of the key things. I, I would agree with with all of those. I think those will be uh, focus areas for sure. Um, and and again, you know, just a as I thought about it when I was at the SEC, it, it is and not to just beat this drum too much, but it is about that overarching principle, which is it's about not just the consolidated information, but providing uh, more insight uh, into, into the business and, and investors repeatedly uh, highlight segment reporting as, as one of the top areas uh, from an informational, you know, decision, useful information perspective. Uh, And so, so again, I think that gets to why the SEC staff is so focused on it and why they will probably continue to be focused on it uh, because, because clearly there's investor demand. Um, So uh, home stretch here, um, maybe uh, we'll get into some final reminders uh, and, and, and I'll go first. and, and I think one that, that comes to mind, uh, and we've hit on this a little bit as well, uh, it's an ongoing assessment for your segments. Uh, and so we talked about how the staff will ask questions when they see changes in the business. Uh, and, and so certainly uh, companies should should think about that as well and constantly be assessing. And, and you mentioned uh, the, the quantitative thresholds. Uh, those can move and those can cause as well. Um, and then, it, it, you know, in terms of situations where you find yourself getting a comment letter, uh, I, I just can't stress enough the importance of being thoughtful and thorough and complete uh, in your in your first response, right? Like the, this is a um, these comment letters take time. There's just a lot of information uh, that that the company has that the SEC doesn't have, uh, and they're coming at it from the standpoint of they're asking questions. Uh, but but and even though it may make complete sense inside the organization of what's being used and what's useful. Uh, it may not be evident uh, in terms of what the staff is seeing. And so, so really taking the time uh, to be complete in, in that response, going through it, making sure you're answering all the questions. I think this is the tip we give on all of them. Uh, sometimes the staff will have multiple questions in there. So, so make sure you're answering uh, all of them. 
And and this is one where sometimes companies just need more time. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense that they might need more time just because you're gathering all this information together. And so feel free to call the staff. Uh, they're, they're willing to work with you in terms of timing. Uh, if you need more time, just give them a, a ring. And, you know, I think what I've observed, uh, you never know where the staff's going to come out, but generally, you know, companies that from the start are are going through that thoughtful, complete response. Uh, you know, usually I think the staff is, is open to the arguments and, and they're open to the, the company's view and, and, uh, those are more likely to, to ultimately prevail in, in, in arguing, you know, their, that their conclusion is appropriate. In other words, you don't want the bah humbug response at the uh, end. <laughs> there you go. That might take the cake or the, or the, uh, the fruitcake, if you will, I guess. <laughs> so, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll double down on one of the things you said, Kevin, which is to take a look at the new guidance, right? Take the time to, to look through it. It's actually not that long and uh, of a standard, but take, take a look through it. And in, in light of that, consider what information is being regularly provided to the CODM today and what that means. And, you know, and maybe use the opportunity of the new standard and keeping in mind the areas of frequent SEC comment letters that we've been talking about to really rethink the overall disclosure presentation, right? You're going to have to make changes to how your segment note looks looks as part of this. So use that opportunity to kind of think about how that presentation best tells your story and helps investors to understand how it is that management is really running the business and what information is useful to them. I think I, I reflect correctly one of the themes and one of the maybe quotes from the conference that we had in our in-depth about that was that uh, financial reporting is a communication tool, not just a compliance exercise. And I think segments is probably a classic example <laughs> of that. I mean, by its very nature, it's supposed to be telling your story of how right. you are running the business so investors can better understand it. All right. Well, great. Thanks, uh, Jay. Really appreciate you joining us uh, and and appreciate your always uh, wonderful insights uh, and and uh, experience from from the front lines and, and uh, um, wishing you the best this holiday season and happy new year. Great. Thanks. You as well. And that's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.